us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these your faithful gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the last week of the season of Epiphany. We always celebrate the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain in this last week. And for Luke, the writer of the gospel, the transfiguration can be called the mother of all epiphany stories. <laughs> now I remind you that the word epiphany actually means showing forth. And that's what happens in this story. The story reveals, shows forth Jesus as a prophet in the great line of the prophets of Israel. The story reveals Jesus as the beloved child of God. But every year when we get to this story, and it comes every year, <laughs> um, I always think, you know, what can you say about a Jesus who glows in the dark? <laughs> I mean, really. But it, I actually have here my very own glow-in-the-dark Jesus <laughs> that my, my, my beautiful wife, Stephanie, gave to me a long time ago. <laughs> Isn't he beautiful? <laughs> oh, he changes colors. He and changes, he, I and love he does. It. He changes colors. <laughs> Even better than the story, right? <laughs> <laughs> and when I need a smile, now he knows his options. <laughs> I turn on the light. Surely there is a more appropriate way to think of Jesus than as a children's toy, <laughs> or even as the pious Jesus that that we hear of a lot. You know, Jesus meek and mild. The stuff that the great British writer and theologian C.S. Lewis called flabby religion. The story of Jesus and his mountaintop experience with the presence of the two most prestigious prophets of Israel, Moses, the giver of the law, and Elijah, the one whose return would signal the arrival of the Messiah. Instead, perhaps, instead of flabby religion, we should call and describe it more like Rudolf, Rudolf, Rudolf Otto's idea of the holy, the mysterium tremendum et fascinans. I don't really know what that means. I had to look it up. But it does mean the presence of God is both transcendent and awe-inspiring. And it's also a mystery that both frightens and attracts. And then there is the encounter of God as a voice in a cloud, hearkening back to the cloud that went before the people in the Exodus. The cloud by day and the fiery pillar by night. And, and there's a lot to say about this scripture. I mean, it's an amazing story. Um, and, and, and there's so much to say to have, help us make any kind of sense of it. But the first thing I want to say is that it's a mystery. And when we're dealing with mystery, we cannot 
really take this only as a literal story because that would confine it to that moment. We have to take it as something more and, and, and that's what happens when we're dealing with mystery. Perhaps we can say that something mystical born from the prayers of Jesus and those disciples happened on the mountain. Something that Peter, James, and John experienced and witnessed and evidently, even though the end of the text says they said nothing, they told somebody. And I dare say that the verses preceding this passage uh, have us hearing Jesus talking about his most disturbing teaching of all, that he must suffer, die, and rise again, and that anyone who wishes to follow him, and here's the scary part, must deny themselves and take up their cross daily to follow. The story, as we hear it this morning, begins with a very precise statement. The eighth day. On the eighth day after these things, it's one day before the ordinary seven days of creation. It's one day beyond the day of the Sabbath. And in fact, Luke tells us that often Jesus retreats to pray and is often on a mountain or at the seaside and retreats to pray. And so the people began to understand, especially following the resurrection, that the eighth day was the day of resurrection. Jesus invites Peter, James, and John up <coughs> with him onto the mountain. You might say it's the first Christian worship service, right? <laughs> It's almost as if he senses there's going to be something specific to share with them. And the cloud and the voice from the cloud recall the vision of Elijah who saw a chariot and lightning in a cloud and who heard the voice of God. It is recalling the story of Moses whose face shone because he had seen God and spoken to God face to face. And Jesus' shining garments Anticipate the heavenly white robes of the heavenly host upon his resurrection, singing glory, glory, glory. In this way, Luke cast Jesus in this, on this mountaintop as a part of the continuing story of the people of Israel. <clears throat> and what happens up there is beyond our explanation. But at its heart is the vision of a mysterious heavenly realm. Time and space seem to collapse. The scene somehow becomes incandescent. And Jesus is suddenly seen in this collegial conversation with Moses and Elijah. And what they're talking about is his departure. That's what the English says. The Greek word that's used there is exodos. It is as if Luke is telling us that there is a new thing happening here. 
that this showing forth, this will be another liberation for the people of God, just as Moses liberated his people. Now, the disciples, it says, are terrified, and rightly so. Now, Peter, of course, has something to say, because Peter always has something to say. <laughs> and you can't blame him. You know how when you get nervous and you, you know, it's help, I'm talking and I can't stop? But ultimately, they are silenced as the cloud surrounds them, and they hear the voice of God. And it's a reprise of the message we heard at the very beginning of Luke at his baptism, right? At the beginning of Luke at his baptism, we hear God say, this is my beloved. Actually, no. <laughs> Sorry, I jumped a, page. I jumped a paragraph. Uh, we hear in his <laughs> baptism, God says in a voice that perhaps only he hears, you are my beloved. But here, it's as if God wants everyone to hear, this is my beloved. And with Jesus' identity confirmed, in this pretty spectacular fashion, I might add, the disciples go silent. But you see, for Luke, the writer of this gospel, true messiahship is not about trumpets, not about chariots, not about military triumph. For Luke, true messiahship is about the deeply hidden form of the suffering servant, only coming into clear view with the resurrection and ascension, which, by the way, is the ultimate epiphany. And this, this astonishing vision ends as abruptly as it started. The two figures suddenly vanish. The cloud is gone. The disciples find themselves on the mountaintop with Jesus alone. So the point is this. This is what I think today, this year when I'm preaching this. The point is this. Jesus will now venture into the shadows of death precisely in order to shine light into those shadows, to dispel the darkness. So take heart, all you beloved children of God, and listen to him for God's sake. <laughs> This mysterious story is not far from the descriptions of those who over the centuries have encountered God in prayer and meditation. It's both frightening and attracting. Those who have described their encounter and experience of God as being filled with light. And for them, it is also true for us. Of course, that requires us to continue to trust and walk with Jesus, even taking up our crosses, taking up his mantle, even though the path right now seems dangerous. Epiphany concludes today, but Jesus has shown forth as a healer, a liberator, a teacher, a shining prophet, but most fundamentally as a beloved child of God. And his path will lead, lead us down 
into the valley through the dry cinders of the ashes of Ash Wednesday and the dear tears of the crucifixion. But this week, we get to stand at the mountaintop with Jesus. This week, we can survey the troubles ahead. We can take a deep breath. We can remember that the journey through the ashes and the sorrow is never for its own sake. <laughs> it's for the sake of what comes next. In a word, it is for the sake of this transfiguration, a radiant new life and a dazzling new world for, full of courage and love and grace and hope. This is a story of our time, isn't it? How can we have gone through this last week and watched what has happened in Ukraine? Watch what is happening with the pandemic. Watch what is happening with the global environmental crisis. How can we watch all of that and not know that this story is for us? Civilization and about everything we know about it, everything we've cherished about it, is in crisis. And we can be sure that some things are ending. But we can also be sure something new is getting ready to emerge. It is as if Luke is saying to us, you're on this mountaintop, so take a good look. Take the long view. Luke is saying, we're now making the turn to Golgotha. And that means to enter into the valley of the shadow of death. But fear not. Keep this astonishing vision. Keep it, hold it in your mind as we go. Now here's what I want you to remember. I know the poem said don't listen to the words of the pastor. But... Uh, <laughs> But I, I, I do want to say one thing I want you to remember, okay? God always takes the long view. God always takes the long view. God desires that Jesus and even his disciples get a glimpse of what is out there and desires that for us as well. It is the view of the other side of Golgotha. It is the view of the ultimate epiphany, the resurrection. Now, I want to tell you something. You know this. We have the luxury of the long view right now. The people of Ukraine do not. They're living one day many of them wondering where they will sleep, what they will eat, if their children are going to be okay, if their spouses who have remained behind will survive. But we, we get to have the luxury of the long view right now. You see, Jesus didn't go up on the mountain alone. He took witnesses. 
he knew there would come a time when he would be criminalized and deserted and left for dead. So he took witnesses. You and I are witnesses. You and I have the luxury of being able to see the long view. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's somebody in your life right now that needs you to witness to the long view that God offers us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has given us this beautiful, wonderful opportunity to see with him the long view of God share that with the people in our lives who need it the most, and to do whatever we can to make a difference for the people of Ukraine. As far away as they are, as great as your troubles are, we can pray. We can pray as Jesus and the disciples did on the mountain. We can pray, and you know what? We, you know, 633 is our big number. It's Matthew 633. Seek first God's realm, and all things will be added unto you. Okay, listen. So, 6.33 in the morning, 6.33 in the evening, say a prayer for Ukraine. If you don't do anything else, pray for Ukraine. Pray for peace in the world. Pray that somehow, some way, we will see beyond what is now and take the long view with Jesus into what can be. Because you see, it was up to them to tell the story of a redeemer who dazzled them. And so they did. So here we are. Thanks be to God. Amen.